You're listening to the Touch of Flavor podcast, episode 53. You're talking about putting your fuck parts in my head where my brain lives. You know, in nature, only a handful of creatures made for life. But isn't that, like, cheating? We can't do this 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Why not? The safety word is banana. It is so refreshing to be with someone who likes to fuck outside the box. This is the Touch of Flavor podcast. Dating and relationship advice by kinksters for kinksters. Join us as we tackle BDSM, sex, non-monogamy, and how to build extraordinary relationships in an ordinary world. And now your hosts, Cassie and Rigel. All right, guys, so we are doing another Q&A episode today. You guys keep filling them up, and we'll keep knocking them down. But uh, before that, let's see. What is current eventish wise for us in life? Ah, first off, this episode will be going out probably the day before Christmas. So we want to wish all of you a happy holidays in whatever format you celebrate it. And we hope that you are spending this time surrounded by family and enjoying each other. And yeah. And also making time for sex. And also making time for sex. That is important. During the holidays. Just had to put that out there because everybody forgets about that during the holidays. Yeah. So what else? Okay. I, you want to tell this story. Go ahead and tell this story. It, 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 it makes me look bad, but it happened. <laughs> so... Rigel and I went out to meet up with a couple of friends. On the drive there, every so often, we kind of have like a check-in about our, you know, power exchange, how it's going, how we're doing things. And basically, it was a really good conversation. We're both like, cool, we should do more of it because we've been working too hard, but we should uh, make sure that we're we're getting time for play and stuff like that and, uh, you know, keeping up on the protocols and everything. And so you have to understand that this conversation ended about two minutes before the next part of this conversation. So we pull up, we find a parking spot, Rigel gets out and he goes and checks the meters and I'm sitting in the car and I'm like, I am not opening my door. I'm going to let him come get my door for me. I'm going to sit here and I'm going to wait. So he went and checked the meter stuff and came back and very, very good boy opened the door for me. And I start to come out and as I'm coming out, I'm saying, see, I waited for you to get my door etc, etc. And before I could even get the sentence out, he closed the door. Now, that all sounds really good until you realize that my foot was not actually out of the door yet. And uh, we ended up having to limp me into dinner with our friends because he got the back of my ankle. So now I have sort of a poofy ankle and it's kind of not not feel good. I'm kind of doing the weeble wobbles, but don't fall down kind of thing right now. Yeah. And you have to understand too, what makes it worse is the car was parked on a hill. So I really put some oomph into shutting the door. <laughs> I was, uh, you know, I was having the conversation with Cassie later. I was like, you know, cause this is one of my protocols. I get her door and I was like, I'm kind of surprised this hasn't actually happened before because it's not like I look at your feet when I'm closing the door. I look at where your body is and like, I'm kind of surprised that all these years, uh, so I felt really bad and I wound up carrying her, carrying her around last night. And, but she's, she seems mobile and doesn't seem like anything's broken and just not, not incredibly happy with life. But, no, uh, I got sore ankle. Getting babied a little bit. So I appreciate it. <laughs> right, it so. uh, last thing guys is uh, we are having our kinky sex positive play party at the playhouse for new year's Eve. Yeah. Kinky sex positive new year's Eve play party. Um, which is awesome. This is, I think the last time you'll hear us talk about this, our next episode comes out probably on New Year's. So you might hear us talk about it one more time. Or no. the aftermath. You'll New hear Year's. the aftermath. I think it comes out New Year's Eve or next, what is next Monday? Uh, well, regardless, guys, if you haven't uh, figured out what you're doing for New Year's yet and you're local to the Baltimore area, A, really, what could you do that would be more fun? Um, and B, makes a great Christmas present. I mean, experiences are always a good present and there is not much many experiences like bringing in the new year, watching somebody riding a Simeon. So definitely uh, you can get the 
links to the tickets and like the events and stuff in the show notes at a touch of flavor.com forward slash zero five three. Anything else? Oh, I was asked to bring my fuck all, so I'll have that. By somebody specific? I, I'm, I'm not going to use names. I wasn't asking for names, but you, like you got asked to bring it in a general sense or in a specific it's going to get used sense? I got asked in a specific it's going to get used sense, and then it became a conversation that is a general sense. So I will be there with my Foxall. I'm excited about that. And I am making myself available for the <laughs> until evening. Until you run out of cocks. Until I run out of cocks. So that's, that's you know, I figured I'd throw that out so, there. So, uh question I have to ask is, did this come as a result of the fuck sawing that happened at the event we were just at? Or is yes. this an unrelated request? Yes. No. Someone that we don't know that well was that just like, us. yeah, that was like, that looks really great. And I was like, hit me up on FET. And I didn't actually think that she was going to hit me up on FET. I was in the middle of like aftercare with the person that I fuck sawed at the event that we were at. And I was like, yeah, hit me up on FetLife or something. And she did. And she did. So I have a fucksall date for New Year's. It's a nice kind of date. Yes. So because of that, I've organized my schedule with our staff. So that way I have some free time for fucksalling. We're going to have to see who has spare attachments because you don't have all that many. I don't have a ton, but I have a few. I can share some love. (laughs) Okay. <laughs> so come out to New Year's Eve. It's going to be a great time. Details at touchofflavor.com forward slash 053, guys, to get event details or to get tickets. We'll put the links in the show notes. All right. So our first question is a phone call. Uh, somebody called in and left us a voicemail. We do love voicemails, guys. Don't ever forget you can give us a call if you want to leave your own voicemail and ask us a question and we will play it. At 8303-ASK-T-O-F-1. How can I? That's great. Yeah, it's a great number. All right, here we go. First question. Please leave your message after the tone. Hi, we are a triad, and we're in our late 30s, early 40s, and we live in Alaska. I have a question. Um, We seem to be running into um, a jealousy issue, but more of a jealousy issue between something I never anticipated, more of like a V. So there was a husband and wife, and then um, we had a female join us. And it's actually jealousy between fighting over the wife, her attention. And so it's not a jealousy that I ever anticipated in the relationship. And we're struggling with how to kind of reconcile that. And I wondered if you had any advice. Thanks. That's a tough situation. This is a question where I think there's only so much we can do on a podcast, but I want to give what we can. First off, I want to say that this isn't an uncommon situation, and I think this surprises people who are newer to polyamory or even maybe people who aren't newer but haven't run into this particular situation before where... You have two people and they meet a third person and everybody realizes that they're interested in each other and everybody starts to date and not necessarily in that order, right? Sometimes two people meet first and then later you wind up hitting it off with a third person, whatever. But we have this idea a lot of times that everything's going to grow equally and everybody's going to have equal feelings for each other. And that's not generally how this works, even in like tightly knit triad situations. There is always going to be two people who connect more closely. First off, everybody has different interests, right? So you're going to have people who are bond more over different things. Like I've had partners where I've bonded over like, hey, we can get up and go on runs at six in the morning. And Cassie's like, screw that. And Cassie's had partners that she's bonded with over horror movies. So you always have those specific activities and and qualities that are a little mismatched, but sometimes they balance out, sometimes they don't. But you also always have, there is always 
there is always somewhat of a V in a triad. I mean, is there is there a better way to put that? There's always one person in the middle who has a little tighter relationships with with the other people than those two people have with each other. I think that not necessarily there's always a V. I think there's a lot of times an imbalance. So it might not be a V. It might be this person and this person have a tighter connection and this person and this person have a tighter connection. And no, that's a good point. So it might not be a V. It might be more like a a line. I don't know. <laughs> but I think that there's there's always going to be some imbalance. And that's the first thing that you have to realize is even inside of a triad, and this blows people's minds because I think a lot of people get into triads in the beginning because they're like, it's safe because everything will be equal. And that's a polymyth, folks. Like, let's just bust it. Like, even inside of group dynamics, the attraction, the connection, hobbies, interests, etc., are not always equal. So moving past that, right, recognizing that things are not always equal, a couple of things to keep in mind are this. Even when things aren't equal, you can still do things to treat people in the relationship equally, meaning making sure that people's needs are getting met, making sure that people are getting time and space. If someone in the relationship maybe has a more busy schedule or something like that, making room for them, making room for that person and doing things where you're keeping in mind each individual's needs and desires in the relationship. So although there's going to be these fundamental differences and these differences in a group, there's also a lot of places where you can alleviate some of that difference in jealousy. And the reason why I want to specifically say jealousy is because jealousy comes not because there are differences, but because someone's needs and desires are not being met, because someone is feeling left out or left behind. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say, right? That the next step is to really sit down and understand what you mean by jealousy. And in your case where you guys are are feeling jealous and like you're fighting over a person, this comes down to people's needs in the relationship, needs and wants not being met, and how to best negotiate that. So that is a good bit of progress to realize those things, right? A, to realize that there are going to be imbalances, B, to realize that they can typically be navigated, and then see that, you know, jealousy, jealousy is kind of a cop-out word, right? Jealousy is is a word that we use to describe kind of this whole collection of feelings without really going into detail about what is wrong. And in your situation, it sounds like what is wrong is that people's needs and wants around, you know, time and energy and interaction with this person who's now kind of becoming the pivot of the V aren't being met. So the trick then is to try and negotiate that in a way where everybody's needs and wants are being met. And that is not something, unfortunately, that we can talk you through on a podcast. Yeah, that's definitely something that if this is a problem that has been festering for a while, like this isn't something that just popped up last week, right? If this is something that has only happened maybe once or twice and it's been a small thing, that's one thing. But if this is something that has been happening over and over again or it's building, we actually did a whole episode last week on- Week before. Week before. 52. On when not to wait to get help. If, if this is something where it has been happening a lot, that's a time to like book a call with us, get, get on the phone, you know, talk it out and really dive into this. The last thing I want to say is that especially if this jealousy with kind of having this tug of war is based in fear. A lot of times we talk about jealousy, but we don't talk about fear. And when we fear that our partner is going to leave us or we fear that our partner is giving more attention to someone else and we're going to lose that, that's even harder to deal with. So because of that, I would suggest definitely booking a call in that kind of situation. Yeah, I, I do want to give um I want to give one one caveat to this. So first off, the episode Cassie's talking about, I said 52, it's 51. It's called We Know We Need Help, but we keep putting it off. And it's actually gonna play into what I'm about to say, which is I know you had said if this is something that's been going on. I agree if it's something that's just happened once or twice, not something to get overly concerned about, but you know, you had said something that's been going on a while. And I don't I don't think that this is something you necessarily want to wait till it's been going on for a 
a while because this is one of those situations that can become toxic very quickly. Like if you feel like you're fighting over somebody, that's something that could could escalate rather quickly and you don't want to wait too long to try and get that resolved because you you don't know where that point is, right? Where that's going to explode if it hasn't yet. So hopefully the first, you know, the, the couple of things we've been able to share with you as far as realizing that, yeah, that's that happens to a certain extent and B, that, like I said, you can navigate it and see that this is really more about needs and desires not being met and maybe some fear and you want to get away from that word jealousy. Hopefully that's been helpful. But if this is something that has been, you've seen come up, more than a couple times, I would definitely set up a call, free call, you know, talk about what's going on in your relationship. The link is a touchofflavor.com forward slash call, and I'll put the link in the show notes as well. Our next question is from Mary from Facebook Messenger. So I actually kind of combined the, the my back and forth with her into a one cohesive question, which is, what do you do when your partner wants to be polyamorous, but wants you to be monogamous. I'd be okay with being both of us being either, but not him being one and me being the other. So I have sort of issues with this, right? This is the, I want my cake and eat it too. And I want you to starve on the side. And it is really someone basically saying, I want all these things for me, but I want this for you. And when it comes to our relationships, we can choose what we want as far as our relationships. And we can negotiate with someone else whatever we want in our relationships. But someone else cannot tell us how to have our relationships. And we talk about polymono all the time, guys. And there's a lot of people out there who are. But there's a big difference between polymono and this. And the difference is, I am poly, I want to be poly. My partner chooses to be monogamous, and we are accepting of each other's choices. This isn't, I am this, and now I am making you this other thing, so that way I can benefit from being polyamorous, and you don't. Yeah, this isn't something, honestly, to spend a lot of time on. The answer is this isn't, this isn't a healthy situation. You need to have a serious discussion with your partner and say, look, I'm not okay with this. I am okay with us both being poly or both being monogamous. And you're going to have to have a hard conversation and put your foot down on it because uh, it, that's not okay. Okay. So our next question is from James, 25, from New York. Do online DS relationships really work? In my opinion, they could at a certain time. But I'm also wondering if I'm wasting my time and should be looking for a person in person. I will say... I think online relationships are, in general, hard to maintain for long periods of time. Some people do it. For a lot of people, that that's something that they're okay with short-term, but, but not necessarily long-term. And also, you know, depending on what your, your needs are, I mean, for me, you know, the the service and the play end of things are all very important things to me. And that's something that I wouldn't be able to get fulfilled in an online relationship unless I had like an online DS relationship. And then I was also fulfilling that elsewhere with other partners, or at least, you know, like traveling to see this person on a, on a fairly regular basis. Yeah. That's basically the answer to this question is there are successful DS relationships online and it serves people in the way that they want them to be served. Right? So if I am interested in just having conversations that are sexy conversations or having protocols where I check in with somebody and tell them I did something and that serves me, then fine. The issue is, is if what you need is more than that. If you need something that is a lot more of a commitment, something that is in person. And for a lot of us, it's important for us to have that person-to-person -person relationship. It's important for us to have someone that we bond with together, even if it's a long-distance relationship where we don't see someone that often. That personal touch, if you will, is, is really, really important. So be honest with yourself about what you need. 
So there are plenty of people, and I want to I want to specify the way that I'm reading this, right? Because you're saying do online relationships work? And I want to clarify that from long distance, because there are plenty of people who have long distance relationships, but they do see this person sometimes, right? And they use the long distance to kind of fill in where they can't physically be together. And that works just fine for people. Um, in terms of relationships that are only online, I don't want to say they don't work. I will say I think it takes a certain kind of person on both ends who that's exactly what they're looking for, and they're not looking for anything more. And I think that's rare to get two people who both that completely works for them, but it's certainly not impossible. Next question is from Tom, 36 in Virginia. Rigel, when did you realize that you like to bottom or submit? I'm now 36 and starting to realize I like to bottom. Am I a late bloomer? Uh, I would be interested to hear your thoughts on how a person develops those inner submissive bottom tendency and traits. Are we born with them? Is it in our DNA? Do we evolve from past experiences? This is a deep question. That's all you, buddy. That is all me. So when did I realize? I mean, be honest with you, this isn't something I've given a ton of thought to. I think I realized it. I can pin down the time that I really got interested in DS. And I don't remember, I mean, like, I, I don't remember how many years ago it was exactly, but there was a story that I can still remember on, it wasn't, it's not Literatica. There was another BDSM site that I ran across somehow. I think it was called My Dutch Pet about like the sailor who gets like kidnapped and it's like a whole femdom thing. That I can, I can definitely pin as the time that I got really interested in DS, like actually in submission. Bottoming, I think, I mean, I really realized I liked it when I first started trying it out, which was when this one corrupted me, which was probably a couple years before I realized I was interested actually in power exchange. But I can also look back and kind of look at some things in my childhood. And I don't mean like anything traumatic or anything like that, but I, I can just look at some, some, some things that happened and you know, like fantasies and things like that and realize that there was probably a root of that and much earlier back. But, you know, I, I didn't realize it was a thing till I was older. So I guess to answer your question, I think that for most of us, for most things, it's usually a combination of nature and nurture. And I think it's really hard a lot of times to separate out where one ends and the other begins. So I think that's my answer on that one. I don't think you'd be nearly as kinky as you are if if you didn't come into my world. Probably not, but I don't because I definitely nurtured the hell out of that. And I'm not I'm not disputing that in any way. But there were there were things when I was younger that definitely I can look back on, like kind of like and you know it's when you're a kid your fantasies are not adult fantasies. But I can still look back and go there was some. Stuff that that definitely had the root of like bondage and kinky and, and stuff like that, even when I was younger. Yeah. No, what I'm saying is I think what I more of what I was saying was that it's really hard to tell the difference. Like there's definitely things that given the opportunity, definitely nurture things versus mm -hmm. sort of where we started out. I mean, on the flip side, I got really excited and really enjoyed tying up my friends and playing the villain when I was a kid. I still like tying up my friends and playing the villain. Yeah, so I'd say, again, I think it's definitely a combination of nature and nurture. I think we definitely do evolve from past experiences. You say you're 36 and you're starting to realize you might be a late bloomer. I wouldn't consider that a late bloomer. There are, I know plenty of people who find the scene 30s, 40s. So I, I wouldn't consider you a late bloomer. And also, it's honestly not something I'd worry about too much. I mean, figure out what you like and do it and have fun with it. Okay. Next question is Gracie, 41, from DC. My two partners and I are overweight, but kinky and Klein. They fantasize about public play, voyeur situations, etc. After finally getting up enough courage to go to an event, we had fun together. But the second time someone made a comment about the fatties, in quotes, showing up, this has really messed with my female partner's self-confidence and contributed to some shutdown issues for my male partner. 
How can you individually deal with body insecurities within the scene? And how can I help my partners? So first, those people were assholes. Yeah, that was my first impression when I read that was, that's not, that's not okay. I don't want to say I'm surprised. I try not to be surprised by things, period. But what I will say is that, you know, I've, I've been in a few different scenes for years. And one thing that I found that I think surprises a lot of people is that people in the scene come in all shapes and sizes. I think most people, when they first hear about the scene and public play and going out, you know, they think that they have this thing like everybody is like a supermodel and they're skinny. And if I don't look a certain way, I'm not going to be welcome. And I find that generally not to be the case. I find that generally there are people of all shapes and sizes and people for the most part are fairly accepting. There's always the one butthead though. Yeah. And I think you may have just run into that one person. I mean, I don't want to say one, but I think it's a minority. That was the first thing I wanted to say, right? I would not count on this being something that happens on a regular or even a like semi-regular basis. Um, but when it does happen, what are some good steps to deal with confidence and body insecurity? Well, first off, before even going there, I would tell the organizer of whatever event or place that you went to, and that shit does not get tolerated. Like that would be my first step would be get rid of the problem. It's not you, it's them. And taking that stance. And I think part of taking that stance will help you recognize that the problem is this person and not yourself. So that's step one. And it helps make sure that nobody else ends up in the same position that you're in. Step two, I think, is the recognition that I'm getting the idea that this is a triad because you're saying you're two partners. So obviously, there are people who find you attractive. You guys are going to a play party together. This is something that you're doing as a triple and enjoying each other. So recognizing that you can be confident because there are people who are attracted to you. And regardless of if some butthead says something, there are people who want to be with you and, and want to enjoy you. You just had two people take you to a party. And the other point is to really decide if you're happy with yourself. Like self-confidence comes from your belief around you. Are you actually okay with your weight? Are you not okay with your weight? Is it something that you want to do something about? Or is it something that the only time that it bothers you is when someone said something to you? Because if it's that only that time when that person said something to you, then it's not a problem. Don't let it beat you down. If this is something that hasn't gotten to you before. And if it is something that you may be self-conscious about and you want to do something about, do something about it. So don't make this something that you're like carrying around with you and feeling bad about. It's, it's really this choice of, am I okay with this or am I not? And if I am not, I can be active and do something about it. If it's something that I'm okay with and I'm only getting beaten down because someone else said something, let it go. There's always going to be someone who says something about everybody. Anything from your hair to, you know, you're overweight, you're underweight, you're this, you're that. There's always going to be that person that says something. So if you're happy with you, let it go. Just sum it up to him being a pain in the ass. As far as what I'm taking from this question is how to have confidence going out to the scene. So this is your second play party. I recommend going out and look at the different people that are there. Go to some different parties and things like that. And I think you'll very quickly realize that there is an array of different kinds of people in the scene. There's not like a one size fits all. There's all kinds of people, you know, and I think that it would really help you to see that, to see different people having different types of play, interacting differently, because the more we're around different people, the more we're all very much the same. And you asked how you can help your partners. 
And I think the biggest thing that you can do for your partners is just be encouraging. Let them know that you enjoy the way they look. You love the way they look. That's why you're with your partners. Our next question is from Russ, 34, Florida. I really appreciate everybody's actually like submitting their age and their location. Now, it has been a long, hard path to train everybody, but we are getting there. So no, in all seriousness, guys, we do we do appreciate it. It's great. We love knowing where people are from and and the diversity of people who write in. So Russ, 34, Florida, how do you all juggle scheduling with your partners over the holidays? I have five partners, a triad and two separate partners. Some have judgmental families and others don't. I want to make everyone happy, but there is only one of me. Thanks in advance for the suggestions. Scheduling the bane of the poly existence, especially holiday scheduling. Oh yeah, it's not easy. Here's the the thing that I want you, Russ, to really understand. When we have several partners and we have limited days and we have to deal with families and things like that, I want you to get away from this notion that you have to make everybody happy. And I'm not saying don't aim to make everybody happy. But when it comes to holidays, maybe you're celebrating a particular holiday and there's only one day, right? There's one day and you've got five people. That's, that's, I, I commend you for that challenge. That is a pretty big challenge there, bud. So recognizing that there might not be a way for you to see everybody on this day. Maybe you can't go to everybody's family that is accepting, or maybe there's families you can't go to because they're not accepting. What I would do is really have a conversation with your partners about what it is they need and want out of the holiday. So maybe for one of your partners, it might be, I just really want to see you sometime that day while you realize, cool, they just want to see me sometime on the holiday. I can block them off somewhere in between the other things I'm doing. They're not looking for me to be there for dinner or this, that, and the other. They just want to see me. Maybe for another partner, it's I really, really, really would like you there on Christmas morning because we share children and I would like you there to open the gifts with the kids. So really asking your partners what they're looking for and what they're needing out of the holiday would be the first thing. The second thing is what do you want from your holiday? Where do you want to be? How do you want to spend it? And being really honest with your partners about this. If this is something where you want to spend your holiday with all five of your partners at some point, this might be a time to host, man. Like, <laughs> pony up and, and make a turkey because it might be the easiest way to actually get all of your partners in the same place is to host something. Maybe it's not during the early part of the day or whatever, but maybe in the morning or late in the evening. So that way you can get all your partners together and handle that. Yeah. So hosting is definitely one thing that we found to be very helpful. Um, the other thing that we do, um, one of the things that we do is uh, the less tolerant families get lower priorities. So it's not like we don't necessarily see them, but they get bumped. Like they don't get seen on Christmas. They get booted to like Christmas Eve or something like that. So that's something that you can take into account when you're doing this. So something else you might want to consider is also talking to your partners about having like the unholiday, meaning you guys celebrate your holiday, not necessarily on the day of the holiday, if that works for everybody. Maybe you guys get together and have a, a holiday party the day before or a couple days after or something like that, where you can get everybody together. So the main thing I think is important is really focusing on what each one of you needs and wants from the holidays. And at the end of the day, really being honest with yourself about what you want to do and where you want to spend your time and energy. Okay, Kitty, 29 from Texas. I'm relatively new to the scene and to BDSM. I have played with someone with the possibility to become their sub. However, communication, I feel, is almost a zero. The first time we played in private, I was admittedly very nervous, but did expect some sort of feedback about the session. I even asked, nothing. Second time was at a club. Again, no feedback. Same with the third and the fourth. Is it fair 
to ask a dom for feedback? If so, how can I ask without topping from the bottom? Well, so I, I want to start with saying, uh, you know, you say that communication you feel is almost zero. And my first question would be, is communication at zero about this specific thing, right? Where's communication at zero in general? If communication is at zero in general, that is uh, kind of a, a warning sign that this isn't, it's not particularly looking up. I wouldn't say like just give up on it, but you definitely want to pay attention if there continues to be no communication, even after you maybe have, have a couple discussions around it, you know, that, that's probably not a good candidate to them being your dom, right? Uh, and by the way, we just, our last episode, which is uh, 052, is actually about how to pick a dominant. So you may want to listen to that. I'll put the link in the show notes. Um, so that's that's the first thing. So for, I think for the rest of the question, it's probably best to assume that this is specific to the feedback about the scening. Yeah. So that's that's the way I'm taking it is basically you guys are having scenes and you're feeling like you're not understanding how well it went or not how well it went. And for a bottom, that can be really concerning. For a top, that can be very concerning. I always ask everybody that I play with, hey, especially the first couple of times I play, to tell me how it went for them, what they liked, what they didn't like, what they'd like more of, or what would they like not to happen ever again. So feedback's a big thing. And this doesn't have to be topping from the bottom. This isn't going to your perspective dominant and saying, hey, I'm demanding this thing. But perhaps bring up a conversation around how you'd like to have some feedback. You could even make it kind of sexy. You can be like, I want to be able to serve you good and to please you. So I'd like to know what went well and what didn't. A lot of times we make conversations super serious and they don't have to be. They can be something that's flirty or fun. And if that doesn't work, you really can just have a conversation that is for me to be able to serve in the best possible way I can, I do need to have some kind of feedback. And then the two of you can have a conversation about what that would look like. So I, I find the term topping from the bottom to be somewhat problematic in a lot of ways. So I switch. And now I will, I will be the first to admit that when like you're in the middle of a scene and somebody is like on the bottom and they're trying to direct everything that you're doing, that, that can get annoying. But I feel like a lot of times when we use that term, it's not productive. Like, what is topping from the bottom and, and how does it relate to this? Like, it, it's just kind of like, I feel like we make this blanket negative term without being really specific about what we're talking about. So, yeah, you don't want to be sitting there directing everything the Dom's doing, but you do want to be giving feedback to a certain extent during a scene, right? And then particularly when you're talking about conversations outside of that particular scene, I don't want you to get caught up in this mindset of, I can't have these conversations, it's topping from the bottom. A, this person isn't your dom, right? Which is, I'd say, one thing, A. B, uh, you're talking about the scene when you're not currently in it. So this isn't you going, uh, hey, um, you know, this is this is feedback, right? You're not topping from the bottom. You're not directing them what to do. You're just giving feedback. And also, you know, and when it comes to relationships, right, moving outside of play, when it comes to relationships, you know, you hear this conversation of, oh, you know, like you don't want to top for the bottom or, oh, you know, real slaves don't A, B, C, D, E. You know, you wind up stifling conversations that really should be had and have nothing to do with who's a good sub, who's not. So I guess what I'm trying to say is, don't worry too much about topping from the bottom, particularly in the context you're talking about, where you're talking about communication that's not happening during the scene. You don't want to wind up in a position where you're afraid to talk about things that you need to be talking about. And asking for feedback, asking, hey, like, how did you enjoy the scene? How did I do? That's perfectly valid. And he may just not be giving it because he may not realize that that's something that you're looking for. Well, I mean, she did say she asked, though. 
Yeah, so she did. And I, I feel like, especially if this is something that you've asked, perhaps looking at how you asked, did you actually ask or did you sort of like, oh, how was it? Or did you directly say like, I'm, I'm really looking for feedback? And in reference to how can you, hey, you know, I was curious as to how you enjoyed our scene yesterday. Uh, is there anything I can improve that would make this more enjoyable for you? There you go. And as a Tom, that is hot. I love when anybody can ask me if there's anything they can improve for me. I love it. So our next question is from Amanda, 34 in Maryland. How do you go about managing contagious illnesses in your polycule? It's not an STI question. I'm talking about colds, flus, etc. How do you do this? Our group, my partners and theirs kept passing things around this year. How can you ask your partner if they've been kissing a sick partner without it being invasion of the other person's privacy? I feel like it's easiest to start this question at the end, which is that line of privacy kind of gets drawn when it's something that can affect your health, right? Uh, this is why it isn't invading your partner's privacy to be like, hey, look, um, if you and I are having sex, I expect you to tell me when you start having unprotected sex with a new partner, right? Because that, that's information you need to know to stay healthy and stay safe. Again, we're not talking about STIs here, but it's it's the same principle. And uh, so I don't feel that there is a privacy issue with asking this question at all. The thing with this is you don't have to do it in a shitty way. You don't have to be like, oh, like, is your partner typhoid Mary or something? And you don't have to take it with this stance that like... Are you kissing that bitch who I know got a sick last year? Yeah, yeah, like you don't have to do that. But you can, you can gently say like, things have been getting passed around a lot. I'm trying to stay healthy because I don't want to miss any more work. Was partner so-and-so sick this go-round, right? Something as simple as that. Like, is everybody that we're hanging out with like not got a cold? With that being said, when you're interacting with many people, sometimes people are sick and don't know they're sick. It happens all the time in our poly triad. Uh, one of us will come home, and by the time the Usually person... it's the kid. Yeah, well, and even kids. And by the time that somebody recognizes that they're sick, everybody else is already sick. They just don't know it yet. So what I'm trying to say here is, sure, you can ask. But do it in a respectful way and make it about something that you want to know as far as yourself so that way you're not getting ill. I mean, I think that the besides making sure that you're being aware and asking questions, the precautions that you take inside your polycule are the same kind of precautions that you take in general. Make sure you're washing your hands, watch who you're eating after, make sure you guys are communicating Maybe if somebody's super sick, maybe don't share the bed with them that night. The only place it changes a little bit with partners is we, we out of necessity, kind of wind up more in their shit. You know what I mean? <laughs> but yeah, I mean, use, use, use some of those same cautionary things that you would. Like when Cassie or Amanda are sick, I don't drink or eat off them. Amanda's actually sick right now. Yep. And, and I you would know, not let that girl use my pillow. Yep. I've been, uh, been kissing her on the forehead instead of kissing her in the face. So you know, uh, just just kind of those common sense things. Um, and, you know, and then also you fall into you've got more people to take care when people are sick, which is nice. Make sure that you are taking care of your partners and helping out. Okay. So, John, 37 PA, I have fallen for my friends with benefits of eight years. I want to actually be partners, but we have never talked in terms of anything but a moving and hooking up. Do you have any tips on how to do this without messing up the friends with benefits relationship we have if it goes poorly? This is a great question. I really like this question. Like, yeah, I like this a lot. Like, typically the question is like, how can I move out of the friend zone? This is like, hey, how do I not screw up my friends with benefits relationship? Like, this is great. <laughs> I love this question. Um, I do want to clarify that it's, it's a single, not plural friends with benefits, but it's a friend with benefits. So, John, when it comes to partners that are ongoing friends with benefits, fuck buddies, whatever, fill in the gap there. There can be this fear of if I open my mouth, I can't put it back in the box, right? Like once it's said, 
it's there. And if it goes bad, things go bad, right? Like I, I lose this thing that I already really enjoy because I took that opportunity. Here's the thing. There's always a risk. There's always a risk whenever we choose to do something different than what we've done. That being said, this is where you want to gauge your friends with benefits. Do you guys hang out? Does it seem like there's a connection there? You say that you're falling for this person. There's probably some interaction going on. So start to gauge that. See if this is somebody, because when we say friends with benefits, that can be a wide spectrum. Maybe this is somebody that you hang out with weekly. Maybe this is somebody that you spend a lot of time with. Or this could be somebody that literally shows up at your house and you have sex and you say, have a nice day. And this can really be a fine line too. I've actually had the discussion a couple times of how do we really make that separation of friends from romantic partners when we sleep with our good friends? It's really a, a fuzzy line in a lot of ways sometimes, right? Because, you know, we have a lot of the same interactions with our close friends that we have with our romantic partners. So it becomes a tricky thing. You know, I'm just thinking of we have a friend who consistently comes over and asks to sleep with you and you consistently tell him no. And it's very polite. And there's this understanding like, hey, I think the conversation has actually been, hey, I'd be open to this. Something I'd be interested in. If not, cool. And I'm but like, that would nope. be great. And I'm like, nope. So and do you think that would be a good way to approach this or? Actually, I would I would take a different approach. This has been somebody that you've been doing this with for eight years. You guys have a pretty consistent thing that you're doing most likely, right? Like there's probably like your regular schedule program. I would say if, you know, as I said about the gauging, I would say what is it that makes this friends with benefits different than having like an actual relationship that you're, that you're possibly trying to pursue with this falling for them? So maybe that means more time. How about inviting this person to spend more than the time that they already are with you? Maybe it means going out and doing something not at your house, but going in public and it being more of a thing that other people see. So what is it that a, that a relationship would be versus the friends with benefits? And ask her, say, hey, you know, how about we go out to dinner for once? And I'd say for once, because then you can get a gauge of how that reaction goes. If it is, I would never go out in public with you. Well, you've got a pretty good idea of where that's going. If it's, you know, oh yeah, that sounds great. Let's do this. You can start to kind of gauge that. If you're asking for maybe some more time to hang out, things like that, you can start to see that this person wants to spend more time with you. If it's like, oh no, you you get Saturday once a month, that's how it goes, buddy. Then, then you know, right? So start to gauge from there. And then eventually you're going to have to have a conversation. And I think the, the most important thing with this conversation is saying to your partner, I'm okay with the way things are now. I, I'm, I'm okay if they don't change, but here's something I'd like. What are your thoughts? and seeing where it goes. But first putting out that you're happy with the way things are, because ultimately that's what this, this question is, is how do I not fuck up a good thing by asking for something else? That is what you're asking us. So say that, say, I don't wanna screw up this really good thing. I like it, I'd be happy to just have it, but it might be cool to have this other thing too. What are your thoughts? All right, so our last question of the day is from Jeffrey, 61 in Maryland. I'm separated and we've been working towards a divorce since 2016. Since we began dating back in the early 90s, my ex knew of my interest in BDSM. After much coaxing, she indulged me and to her surprise found she enjoyed it. After 10 years, her religious beliefs began to clash with my BDSM interests and the enjoyment of our sessions. That along with many factors led to the split. So now my question. When you're dating someone with whom you share other interests but not in BDSM, is it worth trying to persuade them to give it a try, or should one just save themselves the heartache and move on and keep looking? So I'm going to clarify one thing here and how I'm reading this, because I think it'll help us answer this question, which is, I feel like the wife divorce is background, and then the actual question is, so now I'm newly dating, if I'm dating somebody and I find out they don't like BDSM, is it worth trying to persuade them to give it a try? 
which I feel totally changes the way I would answer this question. So, so here's the thing. I don't think this is your case. It sounds like you're working towards a divorce. That's something that you're working at. And if that isn't, if this is somebody that you cared about, you guys have been together for a very long time. When you're saying you got together in the 90s, what that's how many years, right? We're in 2018 now. So that's that's like at least 20 years that you've been with somebody. It may be worth trying to talk with your partner and seeing if there is some way for you to get your needs met, whether that is with that partner or with somebody else. Because if you're connecting with somebody and there is a lot of things that you have in common, especially if there's things that you've built together, it may be worth that extra effort of trying to solve that. Yeah. So I'll answer this from the other end, which is, so now you're newly dating. Uh, You find somebody who you like, you share their interests, but not BDSM. Is it worth trying to persuade them to give it a try? Uh, And my answer is, in most circumstances, no. If you look at like a lot of the advice that was written for people on finding partners back, you know, maybe 20 years ago, SM 101 is a book that comes to mind. You know, a lot of the advice kind of goes around, hey, what you do is, you know, basically you go, you find somebody that you like, and then you try and slowly introduce them to BDSM. And that was really good advice at the time when you didn't really have a lot of options to find somebody who was already kinky. The problem is, is that now it's not that hard. There are groups and munches and, you know, social sites and and way more availability to find like-minded people than there was then. And the issue now is, you know, if you spend time with somebody uh, investing in somebody who you know is not kinky and you know kink is something you need, well, that's that's already a deep incompatibility that you know. And one thing that you can never count on in dating anybody is this thing where you go into it expecting them to change, right? Like, I'm going to change them. They're going to change for me. So you're going into this knowing that you guys most likely have this deep incompatibility. And quite frankly, if this is a new person that you're not invested in, it's probably not worth the time and the effort when you can go and start looking for like-minded people in the first place. I like to say that it's generally going to be easier to go out to the scene and find somebody who likes video games, if that's your thing, than to find somebody who likes video games and then convince them to uh, you know, put on a strap on and, and do something with it. So my suggestion would be, if you're looking, I would focus on finding like-minded people. If, you know, you just so happen to hit it off with somebody who isn't, uh, you know, maybe this is somebody who has the same hobby as you and you're interacting on a regular basis and you realize you really like them, then maybe it's worth it. But that that would not be my choice to go looking. Yeah. It's the difference between did this come to you because it's somebody that you've been around and you started growing towards versus how you're looking for someone. Yep. All right, guys, thanks for all your wonderful questions. We love them. Keep bringing them in. You can always send them in to us and uh, we'll make sure we'll answer them. We love when they're recorded. So hint, hint, nudge, nudge, do that too. Yep. And if you are anywhere within range of the Maryland, Baltimore area, we really hope to see you New Year's. It'd be fantastic to see you in person and it's going to be an amazing time. Thanks for listening to the Touch of Flavor podcast, where we're building relationships outside of the box. Got a question about kink, power exchange, or open relationships that you've been holding on to for years? This is the place to ask it. Submit your question at atouchofflavor.com slash ask, or leave us a voicemail at 833-ASK-TOF1. 